This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio. The new AM740. From hockey to wrestling, football to golf, no sport left unturned. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. As usual with me in studio, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Good morning, Naz. Good How morning, are you? Good morning, Wally. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. And joining us this morning, a uh, friend of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, Mr. Lou Franceschetti. Lou, good morning. How are you, sir? Gentlemen, good morning. It's great to be here. I'm sure it is. Uh, it's great to have you. Uh, let's get right to it, guys. A uh, little roadmap for the show. We'll be talking to Butch Carter, uh, former Raptors coach, uh, in about 10, 15 minutes. In the middle of the hour, we'll be talking to two Canadian Soccer Hall of Famers, uh, former members of Canada's national soccer team in Canada's sports, in Canada's Soccer Hall of Fame, Carmine Marcantonio and Roberto Iarushi. We'll be talking to them. Obviously, the biggest event in the sporting calendar for most of the world is the, is the World Cup of Soccer, and that starts this week in Russia with one glaring omission. But we'll talk about that at another that, time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm still suffering from that one, and I only think it's going to get worse this week. <laughs> I, I just, I, you know, we're going to get into it at, 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 at some point. I just, it just, yeah, we can it, spend it, an hour on it right now. <laughs> incomprehensible, incomprehensible that my beloved Azzurri are not in the World Cup. I mean, it's going to take me a while to get over that one. But we let's talk about the Stanley Cup, Lou. And uh, you know, uh, a remarkable victory for the Washington Capitals. I can't see that. I can't say that we all saw that coming when the playoffs started. Certainly not after the first two games in Columbus. There was a much criticized individual, the captain of the Washington Capitals, who had taken an torrent of abuse over the years for not leading the Washington Capitals to the Stanley Cup. But the great eight, Mr. Ovi, Alexander Ovechkin, uh, took them to the promised land. And, man, he played the game like, uh, you know, the cliche is like only, you know, the Canadian kids will give their right arm to win the Stanley Cup. You know what? I think Russian kids will give their right arm to win a Stanley Cup as well. Lou, I know you were in Washington. I know that you're a Washington Capitol alumni. I know that you were down to see a game down in Washington. Tell us what it meant to you. You you spent quite a few years in a Washington Capitol uniform. Um, um, you spent uh, uh, a game down there, revisited with some of the people that you... Uh, uh, spent some uh, some some days with in your youth, and uh, your whole reaction to uh, what went down. Well, walking up to the arena on the uh, on the Saturday morning of Game Three was just phenomenal. It, it's just obviously you, you hear about all the things, and you see all the things that happen here in Toronto uh, with Jurassic Park and everything else that goes on, and 
it, it was just like almost a second coming. I had never seen that before uh, down there. Uh, walking into the into the new Capital One Arena there, it, it was just phenomenal. The, the buzz, the electricity. Uh, um, walking through a bar, getting up to my um, up to my suite there, I ran into a, a gentleman with my jersey, number wow. twenty five, <laughs> and my name on it, and I was almost I almost fell down laughing. And he came up, and we just hugged and talked about old times. We took pictures, uh, and then just going out to the seating uh, for that for the ph- phenomenal. Uh, opening ceremony uh, with the lights on and everything dark and it, it just took me back to uh, back to when I played and not to that big of an extent but just the the emotion that was in the building that night and knowing that the caps more or less they have the finger uh, they had the Stanley Cup at their fingertips if they can come out of there uh, not let alone uh, win game three but also sweep in the, the home and home series there and it was, it was just uh, it was just a feeling that I've never seen before and never felt before. Louis, as an alumni, did you feel part of the Cup win? Uh, you know, it, it's been a while. I I can't say I did feel a part of it. I know a lot of guys took it upon themselves. Uh, um, I feel more of a, a part of my of the Leaf alumni. I only spent a year here. Uh, their alumni isn't as big as ours is. Uh, I know Peter Bondra, who who more or less bent over backwards for us to get those. Uh, tickets for us for game three and four uh is trying to put it uh in its proper perspective that uh that they don't get the backing from leonis and the community that uh, the toronto maple leafs do an all canadian uh i can't even say all canadian teams because there are a lot of uh, good american teams like philadelphia and buffalo that bend over backwards for for the alumni uh so he's he's more or less he's trying to right the the ship right now and try to put the uh washington capital alumni on the map again uh, you played in Washington for quite a few years in the 1980s, Lou, and, uh, you know, Washington, um, um, you know, it's, it seems to be a great hockey market. Uh, in uh, How passionate are, uh, are, uh, are, is local community down there about, about hockey? Is it, uh, tell us a little bit about how important hockey is in that Washington market? Well, I really don't know how passionate they are compared to, I guess, the original six teams or uh, uh, teams like, uh, I'm not even sure how passionate Vegas is, as, as well as the show that they put on. But I think with Ovi and, and the Stanley Cup coming to town right now, they've gotten the Washington Nationals involved, they've gotten the Washington Redskins involved, even though it is a, a Redskin country. Um, it, it's something that they were trying to build on. And now it's more or less they, they've gotten over the hump. I know uh, we all we all have a little bit of uh, professional athleticism in us, and the Washington Capitals had to jump over one big hurdle, and that was the Pittsburgh Penguins, and they finally did that, knocking them off uh, in six games this year. And then obviously coming through down three games to two against uh, Tampa and beating them. And I think Ovi's more or less starting to cherish right now on what the Stanley Cup actually means. I think in previous years, until he got over that hump, uh, he didn't know what it meant. Now, I think he's actually got a feel of, of what it means to him and to hockey in general, that it is the, the holy grail. It is the one thing that you could probably give your right arm to play for and win, and nothing else, nothing, no money in the world would really care about it. Uh, I want you to react to this. And, you know, we've been... Uh yeah, I, I'm. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I can eat humble pie just as just as good as anybody else. And I'm. I'm. And uh, we've uh, we've been critical of Ovechkin over the years. Um, 
And uh, I'm quite frankly going to say that, uh, you know what, he, uh, he took his game to a different level. And, and, and I think the biggest factor, this may not have been the most talented Washington Capitals team of the last five, six years. At least that's the way some of the uh, analysts are looking at it. But I think the difference in this team is Ovechkin uh, took this team, put it on his shoulders, and said, guys, I'm going to play as a team member, and therefore everybody's going to play as a team member. And, you know, and you've got to give him all the credit in the world. Uh, aside from his hockey ability, um, he demonstrated the leadership. Uh, he demonstrated what a captain needs to do to take his team to the next level. Because there, you know, he's, there's some talented individuals around him. Naz, you made the point, John Carlson on, on defense. Kuznetsov. Man, phenomenal. I mean, he phenomenal player. I, I, mean, I had no idea this kid could play at that level. You know, Backstrom, uh, T.J. Oshie, uh, Devante Smith, Pelly. You know, all you know that, that that you know that's you know ultimately when you win a Stanley Cup, it, you, you find those guys in the third and fourth lines who are able to take their game to a higher level. But you know, Ovechkin was the leader, and he, he and it was him who brought the team along with him. It was it was just phenomenal. I and I'm I'm the biggest critic of Ovechkin. I was the biggest critic on them signing uh, Kuznetsov to an eight year deal at, at the beginning of the year and letting Marcus Johansson go. Uh, uh, you know, and also signing uh, T. A. J. Oshie uh, as an unrestricted free agent, even though he was there. It, it was just, I guess you could see a. a Big building lifted off of Ovechkin's shoulders once he beat Crosby, and he knew that there was uh, a light at the end of the tunnel. Until he got that, and we all say you got to to be the best, you have to beat the best, and they beat the best because the Pittsburgh Penguins were, were always right there, and they always will be as long as they have Sidney and, and Malkin. But again, it was, it was just phenomenal watching him. Uh, not necessarily uh, just the way his play, the, the emotion that he had catching the guy from behind on a shorthanded. Uh, situation there in game uh, game five the other night, blocking a shot. The emotion that he had on uh, Braden Holsby when he stopped probably the, the goal or the shot that turned the whole series around in game two. Uh, it, I'd never seen that from him before. I guess he started to realize that, guys, if I get a little bit of help here, and he did, he got Lars Eller, uh, Smith Pelly came up with some big, big goals. The Washington Capitals have never really had that before. Uh, They've had the depth, but the guys have never come forward and, and did that little extra, so take a little bit of weight off of Ovi's uh, back. Ovi scored a big goal on the power play in Game 5. Gave everybody a little bit of lift. Uh, he wasn't frustrated. He played hard. He played physical. Uh, he put his body where he probably never put his body before. Uh, and everybody just fed off of it. It was just an, an amazing feat that I, I never thought uh, Alex Ovechkin had it in him to... Not being Russian, but just being somebody that was supposed to lead the Caps to the promised land from the day that he got drafted in 2004. Uh, it was just unbelievable to watch him. Uh, and now he's he's reaping the, the so-called, uh, what do you want to call it? The, uh, he's just reaping the benefits right now, and, and he's showing everybody what he is. He's bringing the Stanley Cup around D.C., and and he's proud of it. I think I think the end result of all this is we can finally start, without hesitation, um, 
you know, putting Alex Ovechkin into the category of one of the greatest players ever to have played the game of hockey. How much did Barry Trotz mean to the Stanley Cup win, too? He needed somebody to direct the ship, and he did a pretty good job. I, I think he did, uh, and more or less... Coaches just let the players play. They, they, they don't want to have a say in anything. They, they just try to steer them in the right direction. And if you have quality players uh, like they did this year, and you know you said it earlier, well, this wasn't one of the better Washington Capital teams out there. I think three or four years ago they probably had a better team talent-wise, but they just they couldn't put it away. Uh, it, it's just that you just try to fend off. And, and it showed in the pregame skates where he had a little bit of fun with everybody uh, by skating around the rank and, uh, and we know there's another story to, to Barry coming back or not, but it, it's just that coaches try to stay out of the players' way. They, they just try to – players are going to play the game, and, and you're going to make certain adjustments after the first couple of games. You're going to know each other pretty well. That You're going to just go into the dressing room, put the starting lineup, but guys, let's go play hard and finish your checks and play the game. Louis, you saw Smith Pelly plays uh, as a minor midget with the I, I did. I, I did. He was one of the top players back then, and he's re- he really played well. <laughs> it's funny that uh, – uh, that that team that was loaded uh, with the junior Canadians, you had Toffoli, <laughs> and you had Smith Pelly, uh, and you had a bunch of other guys that got drafted. McFarland, but he didn't do it. Yeah, anything. McFarland was on that team, and obviously McFarland went the other way, went south. Smith Foley, who who is a work ethic back then, and Toffoli also uh, are the two players that really stand out most from from that two thousand. Uh, 1992 junior Canadian teams that I think lost five games in a matter of four or five years. They, they were just loaded for Baron. Uh, you know, Cameron right now must be just smiling that he's got a chance yeah, to... Uh, our good friend he, Dan yeah, Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah, he must be smiling now, and I hope uh, Smith Bella brings the cup home and shows him, listens to this, all the hard work that you put us through. He scored some big goals, that guy, in the series. He scored he seven goals. Did. Well, look at, look at Toffoli. Toffoli scored some big goals, and yeah, let's not get back to them yeah. with L.A. Those are the but guys Smith that Belly win right Stanley now, Cup. And he signed a two-year... A two-way contract because nobody wanted him. Yeah, and he's a big boy. He stood up to Kevin Reeves. Yeah. He knew his role on that team, and that's what the Caps finally got. The players have to know what the rules are, and if you get a little a couple of breaks here and there, then the big boys are going to stand up. And Lars Eller, he probably scored two of the biggest goals yeah. uh, in Game Three against Columbus, the double overtime game, and this one right now. And then he filled in for Ovechkin and Kuznetsov on the two uh, the two or three games that. That they missed, and he put up big numbers. He had great speed with Montreal. He never made it though. Like he, I think he was put in the wrong role with Montreal. Well, and, players uh, sometimes are put in the wrong roles well, everywhere. They, they you he was a first round pick from yeah, St. Louis. Great skater, though. Yeah. Great skater. You know, I, I've said, and we've got to go to break. We, you know, we got a, a lot to get in in this show, and I've said it a zillion times. And Lou, I just qu- quickly comment on it. The important part of a Stanley Cup run is getting getting through the first series. Mm-hmm. And get in your groove, yep. and 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 finding the roles, putting putting the putting the players in the roles, and the Washington Capitals almost didn't make it through. And how many times do you get teams that go into the first round and they get upset? If you can survive the first round and figure it out, figure out your matchups, figure out your power play and your penny, penalty kills and your and, and all of that, and you know the the Caps had to go to overtime in Game Three. And if that if that overtime if there's a bounce that goes the wrong way, the Caps might not be the Stanley Cup champions today. Well, well, the save by Holtby in the last two minutes of Game Two, and the four posts that the Vegas team hit in Game Four 
were probably the biggest moments in that game because the Caps came up leading four nothing after the game, uh, game four, where they could have been down easily by three or four. And hardworking teams always get bounces, and I think this they year figured out. Uh, yeah, everything worked in the Caps' way. Anyways, we got to go to break. Be talking a little bit of basketball with Butch Carter as soon as we're back. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville announced their loyalty program, but some listeners thought I was saying royalty program. <clears throat> To be clear, Pizzaville cannot get you into the royal family. Stop that. However, after your sixth online order, you'll get a large pizza of your choice free with your seventh order. And that'll make you feel like a king or queen. Oh, boy. Find out more at pizzaville.ca. There's an old saying. Entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000-square-foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. The best. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. They're not here to be nice. They're here to be right. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We're live from Liberty Village on the new AM 740. Broadcasting in downtown Toronto on 96.7 FM. Video live streaming on the internet, www.zoomerradio.ca. We're pleased to welcome to the Nazawali Sports Hour, former Raptors coach Butch Carter. Good morning, Butch. How are you? Good morning. How are you guys doing? We're doing fantastic. Uh, thanks for joining us. Just so you know, just so you know, our good friend Lou Franceschetti is with us this morning. Uh, hey, Lou. How are you, man? Good, Butch. I guess we could have taken our, uh, our prediction there to <laughs> Vegas, huh? the one we talked off the air the last time we saw each other. Yeah, I think we were like-minded at that time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just so our listeners are aware, this this goes back to a conversation uh, we had off the air uh, just before Dwayne Casey got fired. And uh, Butch Carter and Lou were of the opinion that uh, Dwayne wasn't going to see the end of that week, and their prediction came out uh, spot on. And on that topic, Butch... Uh, Stackhouse apparently has signed as the Grizzlies' assistant coach. Who's going to be the Raptors' coach? Well, I don't have any idea. The fact that they've taken so long and let Stackhouse get away, um, it's, it's not how I would have voted. Um, but the, 
problem uh, in my mind is that uh, currently right now, Masai is the leader of that team, and he's going to pick a personality that fits him. Um, and, you know, to be fair, fits, this, fits the team. And Stackhouse probably would have not have gotten along with Lowry um, because in watching Stackhouse over the past two years, and I've told many uh, front office people that I've seen that he is extremely good on the detail, which is surprising for a former player. He seems to be locked in on the detail. I was extremely impressed with him. Uh, you can't help but be impressed what he did when he when he had four first-round picks and they won the G League title and then come back the next year where he has none <clears throat> and they still got to the final. Um, I can't say enough. As an outsider, um, I am the mentor for the NBA's assistant coaches program. Uh, I see 20 or 30 uh, former players come into the program every year. Uh, most of them fail. It's either high level of success or high level of failure. Stackhouse, in my opinion, is in the top 2% of all the former players that I've seen going to be coaches. But uh, LeBron James was brought up by an ESPN reporter that uh, they may look at the uh, Raptors for LeBron James. Is it, do you have any uh, comments on that? Well, I just think he said he's going, it's going to be a family decision. Um, you know, I think the LeBron is going to make a decision that's based best on, you know, how it works out for his, I think his oldest son's going into high school. So he knows he can't bounce around. I can't believe he would bring them here and put them in high school here when we know that high school basketball is uh, secondary, at least um, being kind to uh, U.S. high school basketball. So, you know, I hear, you'll hear a lot of speculation, um, but he owns a house in California still, and I think eventually he's going to land there. That's not to say he's going to uh, play for the Lakers or uh, the Clippers. I think the one thing LeBron realized this year is that it's a lot harder to put chemistry together, um, so he just can't go anywhere. I do think that there will be a chance for him to go to Philadelphia now that Coangelo is out and potentially a new GM will be there. Um, and Jerry Quangelo does have some dealings with LeBron from USA Basketball. But I think, uh, you know, he'll take some time off and then they'll start to systematically, like he's always done, go through the pluses and the minuses of, of where he wants to go. I would bet he stays in the East. Uh, talking to Butch Carter. Butch, uh, of course, this week the uh, Golden State Warriors won uh, won the uh, NBA Finals in uh, in four straight. Um, um, it almost seems like obviously the Warriors are in a dynasty. Um, didn't seem like the Cavs put up much of a struggle, especially at the end of Game Four. Um, is that good or bad for basketball? Well, it's good for basketball because. Uh Teams need to get back to winning. Um, you know, you've seen the salary cap destroy great football teams in the NFL. The only one that's been able to get around it is New England because New England's division is so weak. Uh, a lot like San Francisco when they were good, the 49ers were good. Um, I think it's important to make players uh, want to do things so the team wins. you got to remember, you know, we went through a stretch where everybody wanted to go 
you know, be their own team. And that was just purely a selfish reason. They could make the most money, and they really didn't care if the team won. The fact that Tracy McGrady is in the Hall of Fame, and, you know, he never got to a second-round playoff, you know, speaks to what that error was. It was it was for the individual. It was for the agent. Um, and it wasn't for the team. So young kids are watching a great team play. Uh, kids of all makes and models are enjoying Mr. Curry because he looks like them. You know, he's not too tall. And think about it. Curry played poorly in game one and game three. But Durant was so huge that they got by. And I just think it's it's really important to see great teams play in professional sports and this arbitrarily owner saying, you know, no, you can't do that because <clears throat> we're so clumsy, we'll never win. And that's that's true. You know, there are in, in NBA teams that their front office and the whole way in which they put together teams will never allow them to move forward. And you know, clearly we see a little bit of that with Sacramento right now. And teams aren't going to want their, I mean, people aren't going to want their players going to Sacramento. It's just been chaos, even with all their picks. So, you know, I, I think it's good. Uh, you can't tell me it hasn't been good for young fans in Toronto, all Raptors fans, <clears throat> that they've been on this winning streak the last, uh, you know, three years and really productive the last four. Um, you know, they just they just haven't been able to accumulate enough talent. And hopefully somebody will want to come to Toronto. But on the other side, the agents don't push for Toronto because there's no sponsorship money directly to the players in Toronto. There's very little. Butch, uh, I know you said that you think LeBron's going to end up in, in the East. So I possibly think that he would probably end up in L.A. only because he's, they're trying to recruit him, uh, him and Paul George to come out there. They've got all this cap space. Um, and, and where do you put Kevin Durant um, in the same uh, sentence as LeBron James? Can he or will he be ever ever uh, a player that can go from team to team and lead a team to the finals like LeBron has over the last uh, six or seven years? Well, I, I think Durant stays where he's at. He's bought a home in Southern California. <clears throat> he enjoys Southern California in the summer, and then he goes back up north. His personality is not of the alpha dog, except when he's scoring baskets. But as far as off the court, he he lets he's got two guys in, in Green and Curry to lead on that. I don't believe that. Uh, I believe the Lakers will take one player this year. <clears throat> if I was him, I would take one player this year, and then I would wait on Clay Thompson and Kawhi Leonard. Oh, that's that's what I would do. Um, Historically, when the Lakers have taken two All-Stars or former All-Stars, it's not worked out. They took Gary Payton and, and Carl Malone. Uh, they they took uh, Steve Nash and, uh, and Dwight Howard. It just hasn't worked out. Um, knowing the Lakers the way I do, um, they are not very good at the details. Uh, Pat Riley is the last coach that was there that uh, pushed all the details. Um, but historically, after Pat, they have not paid attention to the details. They have been fragmented, uh, and it carried right through the team. And so, you know, the question I have is, can Luke Walton get everything organized 
and clearly uh, he's got an adversarial uh, person with Mr. Ball who's going to critique and criticize anything he doesn't like. Doesn't make a difference if it's right or wrong. So if I were the Lakers, I would I would integrate Paul George, and then I would go find another player to be another fit and. Look, the reality is that I would take the cap money I'd have, and I'd get three players. I would not get two. If you're going to go after it, you need to get three players. You need more than two players. And, you know, that's my opinion. That's how I'd go about it. I would go in and say, hey, look, guys, here's the money I got. Can you split it three ways? But Andrew Wiggins refused to play for Canada this summer in the qualifier. Your, your feelings on that? It, it all goes back to, you know, when they didn't put him in the end of the game, when we lost the game uh, in Mexico City. I believe that, yeah. Right? It all it all goes back. You know, it, it, it's all the detail. You know, this whole thing of having a head coach, Jay Triano, and then all of a sudden having a defensive coach, the head coach of Carlton, and the Carlton guy saying, take him out and put in my kid that played for me at Carlton. All right? It's a failure because... They should have had Andrew Wiggins understanding what the defense assignments were. Instead of doing their job and making sure he understood what the defense assignments were, they said, "No, let's take him out of the game." So if they're not going to if they're not going to go to bat for him when a game's on the line for Canada to qualify, why should he go to bat for them? Uh, this is how it works. I'm I'm not saying it's fair, but this is how it works when you deal with a star player. You've got to get ahead of the stupid stuff. Every time you don't get ahead of the stupid stuff, it bites you square in your bottom. Uh, Butch, uh, we've got to get on with the show. I'm going to leave it on that note. Um, Very interesting comment. Uh, Hopefully for the future of Canada basketball, we seem to be going into a golden age. We've got an incredible amount of young talent. uh, And uh, hopefully uh, we can at some point see all of our best talent on the floor at the same time. So hopefully uh, Canada basketball and uh, the other stars that are coming up through the ranks, hopefully they uh, can work it out so that we, uh, you know, Canada uh, should be able to field a very, very competitive uh, world-class basketball team, and it's an absolute shame if there's these types of issues holding us back uh, that uh, reasonable people can't get those issues resolved. That's uh, certainly my hope, Butch. Well, Walter, it's a fair comment. The, but as I said before, <clears throat> this has been going on forever, and Canada basketball refuses to get ahead of it. And they refuse to have anyone around that could explain to them, this is what you're going to face. So the fact that you know all this talent is coming through and this great training is going on you know, with young Canadians and we're not seeing it on on the world stage, it is a damn shame. An absolute shame. On that note, Butch, uh, thanks so much for taking the time for us, and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Appreciate it, Butch. Have a great great week. Um, Hopefully get an opportunity to come back to that. But we've got uh, got on the line uh, two soccer, Canadian Soccer Hall of Famers, two giants of the Toronto... Uh, soccer scene. Of course, I'm talking about Carmine Marcantonio and Roberto Iarushi. Gentlemen, are you with me this morning? Yes, 
Yes, uh, Walter, we hear uh, Robbie's just coming. Uh, okay. She's just outside doing these coach, uh, coaching. Yeah, duties. just just so our <laughs> listeners uh, know, apparently you guys uh, you haven't hung, you haven't hung it up completely, from what I understand, and you uh, still partake in uh, in a soccer league on Sunday mornings. I know that. Yeah, you're... yeah, we play in this league for many years now. I'm still on my 64th year, I'm still kicking, uh, Walter and Bobby. Because of his knees, and uh, he's had some trouble with his knees, so he's doing his coaching duties. It keeps us in, in touch with the game. Yeah, so uh, first of all, we want to apologize for interfering with uh, your Sunday morning activities. So uh, thanks so much, and hopefully we'll have Bob on the line. But Carmina... Yeah, he's here. He's uh, going to say hi. Hi, Walter. Good morning. Roberto Ierushi. Good morning. How are you, sir? I'm very good, thank you. I just gave pleasure you. To be, uh, it's a pleasure to be on your show again. It's it's always a pleasure to have to you. I know you guys have been, uh, uh, you guys have been on the. I, I was about to say the soccer pitches, but I know that that gets Carmen and upset. So I'll call it the football pitches. Uh, I'm going to try and call it football for the rest of the show. Uh, I know you guys have been friends probably since your Westwood days, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, groomed through the ranks of Toronto minor soccer, both played with the. Uh, the title-winning Metro's Croatia team in 76 with the great Eusebio. Uh, both of you played in the North American Soccer League for years in the, in the late uh, 70s and also were capped with uh, Canada's national soccer team. And Roberto, if I'm not mistaken, I understand you also captained that team on a few occasions. So uh, getting right to it. I woke up this morning thinking about preparing for this interview and I was overwhelmed once again because uh, we're talking about the World Cup this uh, starting this week, which is one of the great spectacles and the sporting spectacles in the world. Our beloved Azzurri are not there. Uh, and I'm having a difficult time accepting that we're going to have a World Cup for the first time in my, not in my lifetime, but uh, uh, for the first time in my living memory uh, without without our beloved Azzurri. Carmine and then Roberto, I'll turn it over to you. Um, how does that make you feel? Yeah, no, it's a sad part for, for us that we have, uh, as you know, we, we're probably Canadian, but uh, also very much uh, on, my, on my part, very much Italian. I was born in a, a lovely Italy when I came over here at 14. So not being able to see our Azzurri, it's a tragedy for, you know, soccer aficionados uh, like us. And even for Toronto, because... Uh, it helped the economy of uh, Toronto, and it's not all of Canada, because as we know, we have a lot of uh, Italian Canadians in the whole, across the country. And without the Azzurri, it's not the same World Cup. But I think closest, to, as far as I'm concerned, closest to the Azzurri, with a lot of Italian roots in that team, uh, the, it's Argentina. So I'm going to be rooting for Argentina in this World Cup. Robert? Uh, Robbie may want to add his uh, piece on this. Well, well, Carmen and I both watched uh, Italy struggle against Sweden, both ho- away and then home. And uh, especially the the game in Milan, it looked like if they had played a week, they would never have scored. So <laughs> very frustrating to watch a team not able to uh, to find themselves. I think it's uh, it's sad for the for FIFA because uh, a World Cup without Italy, uh, I think FIFA loses. First of all, they lose a lot of money, and I think secondly, they lose a lot of cachet because I think the Italians. You know, they bring uh, definitely a lot of fans, a lot of uh, people from all over the world. And it's it's actually, you're right, Walter, it's a little bit, um, it's funny not to see them uh, in any of the uh, the eight groups. 
Um, I, I want you guys to uh, size up the World Cup for us this year. The favorite, apparently the bait, the betting favorite, is of course the, I've always said the soul of soccer, uh, and I, you know, I always get criticized by my non-Italian friends. Uh, but the soul of soccer for me has always resided in Italy and in Brazil. Uh, and Brazil, uh, last time around, uh, to be uh, quite frank, got their shorts blown off by the Germans. Uh, in the semifinal, but Brazil has been instated in as the uh, favorite for this World Cup. Um, how, tell us, uh, Carmen, first to you and then to you, Roberto. Um, how do you see, do you see Brazil as the favorite, and is this going to be the Messi-Ronaldo World Cup? Uh, your thoughts on what you're expecting to see, both from a team perspective and from an individual player perspective. First, Conman, and then Robert. Yeah, I think you hit it right on the nail. you got to put Brazil as uh, being one of the favorites, for sure. They won uh, Cannonball quite easily, and we know that Cannonball with uh, Europe, it's uh, the toughest uh, region of FIFA to, to qualify. And they won handily the first place. I think they won. They learned their lesson. They, they got humiliated uh, in their last World Cup that they hosted. So, on my book, Brazil is definitely going to be one of the favorites. As I said, uh, my my pick uh, would be Argentina because uh, of a lot of the players who play in Italy. They have Italian roots uh, from uh, the the descendants. Uh, a lot of them are from Italian descendants. So I have a bit of a and Messi's been the greatest player, as far as I'm concerned, since Maradona and Pelé and, and Cruyff. Uh, I mean, he's up there with Ronaldo, for sure. So, to answer your question, this is going to be, as far as I'm concerned, the three favorites are going to be Brazil, Argentina, and Germany. Always you have to put the Germans in there. And uh, a bit of an outsider, I put France and Spain. Actually, not a bit of an outsider. Those two are, are good teams, too, and they're going to be in the mix in the, in the semifinals. And uh, as far as uh, being uh, indi- individually, I do pick a duel between uh, between uh, Ronaldo and Messi. But again, I think Messi is going to be, you know, with Brazil, the the, the, str- the stronger of the two, and with Argentina, I mean, they, you know, they're going to Messi is going to shine in this World Cup. I get this feeling, Robert. Well, I mean, it's hard to pick Brazil to win the World Cup when the last time they met Germany, they lost. Seven one at home, so I don't understand how the pundits can 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 put uh, Brazil over Germany, but I guess that's just the machinations of the last four years. Uh, I actually think that the Germans are the team to beat. They're always the team to beat, um, and they qualified for the World Cup basically with their youth team. So this is a team of confidence. This is a team that knows how to how to uh, you know bring forward their their young players. And uh, they're a machine. For me, they're a machine. So I, uh, I have Germany as the favorite. I think Spain is going to be there. And I, I actually think Argentina is going to disappoint this year. They're in a tough group. Um, and, uh, you know, they're going to have a hard time, in my opinion, coming out of the group. Boys, the uh, second largest community in Toronto is the uh, Portuguese community. Yes. What are what are Portugal's chances in this? Well, Portugal is a very, they're, they're very you know, they're not afraid to play the game to win. And even though they have the, one of the best players in the world up front, they're a team that won the Euro Cup by frustrating France at home. Um, I saw France yesterday against the U.S., and they were lucky to tie 1-1. So, 
uh, and they played at home in Lyon uh, in front of, uh, you know, 60,000 fans wishing them well for the World Cup. So, you know, in today's, in today's game, the athletes are so strong. And if, uh, if, uh, if a coach, uh, you know, adopts a, a very strategical, tactical, defensive um, game plan, it, it could offset any of the big teams. So you have to be careful. And uh, I think Portugal is definitely one of the top six, or, you know, uh, in the tournament. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't put them on my betting, uh, on my betting list. Gentlemen, uh, I think the city's going to lose a lot of money with no Italian team. <laughs> and probably the streets are going to be a lot cleaner, a lot safer. But anyways, on the lighter side of things, when's the Italian Soccer Federation going to start uh, getting this, uh, steering this boat in the right direction? It seems like the last uh, four to eight years, this team has more or less has gone downhill with not developing uh, the, the young talent that they have coming up. And where where is the Italian team going from from this day forward, knowing that they're not going to be participating in the World Cup this year, and how many young players, uh, and is there a future for the Italian uh, soccer team uh, going forward? Well, yeah, I mean, you can never discount the Italians, but as we know, as a society, as an economic uh, power, Italy is struggling, uh, and even and it reflects on, on the national team, on the Serie A, it's not uh, as flamboyant as a has uh, followed the uh, prestigious uh, that, uh, that uh, the premier in, in England and the, uh, that, uh, the German Bundesliga. And so, I mean, it's still one of the top leagues, but not with the same uh, pedigree that they had in the past. So, uh, I mean, this is reflective a bit of the Italian society that are a bit on the downside, but I think with, the, with the Mancini being the new head coach, there's a bit of a restructure at the federation level uh, some good youth uh, are coming up from the, you know from the the youth system uh, i think that's what they need to revamp uh, if we look at germany france even england they've the new generation is coming up they have a pool of uh, young players that they could pick from unfortunately in italy it hasn't been that way uh, in the last uh, 10 to 20 years because uh, Italian teams have gone always with uh, with foreign players. Uh, it costs them a lot less to buy a player rather than to develop a player. And, and that's been reflective on, on the Italian play because we don't have a big pool of talent. There is one that Mancini is trying to see the last three games. Uh, they did okay. But then it needs time. But I think Italy at the end, uh, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to you know, be a rebirth at, at the national team level. And uh, even at the league level. Uh, by the way, I don't know, I just found out this morning, the women qualified for the first time in the Women's World Cup by winning the European. So we got to cheer about the, the women program now. And uh, with the men, it's gonna, they're going to be there. We're going we're gonna to come back. I think Italy is going to be one, still one of the top uh, nations in the, in the football world. We're talking about... Kind- uh, Carmine, we're talking to Carmine Marcantonio and uh, Roberto Iarushi, uh, Canadian Soccer Hall of Famers. Uh, just a couple of minutes left. We've got to get you guys back on the soccer field. Uh, uh, Robert, uh, there's, a, there's big talk about the World Cup coming to Canada in 2026. Uh, how close is that, and what would that mean for Canadian soccer? Oh, I don't think there's any question that, that, that the... Uh combination of Mexico, U.S., and uh, Canada will will get the World Cup from FIFA. They have, they're up against Morocco, I think, 
from an economic standpoint, it makes all the sense in the world. I expect the announcement on, on Wednesday to come out loud and clear. And, of course, it's going to impact soccer in Canada big time. It's going to impact a lot. Um, it'll impact with regards to interest. Our, our challenge is, do we, have a, do we have the leadership administratively to understand what they need to do from a structural po- uh, point of view in terms of getting our game prepared for the, uh, the onslaught of uh, interest? And uh, that's really our challenge. It's always been our challenge. The weakness of Canadian soccer is really the, uh, the lack of uh, structure, the lack of opportunity for, for young players. The aspiration for, for a 14-, 13-, 14-year-old right now doesn't exist because there's only two or three launching pads here in, in, the, in the Canadian uh, landscape that, that can take on aspiring Canadian players. So that has to change. And the, the new league next year, the Canadian Premier League, is probably starting at the right time. And if they get their, their, their stuff together, they could be uh, you know, a very important uh, they can be a very important part of the new structure. So um, I'm looking forward to Wednesday's announcement. Um, and I'll uh, leave it on this note. I'll throw it out to uh, whichever one of you wants to jump in first or second, for that matter. Uh, and talking about Italian soccer and Canadian soccer, uh, both of you are involved with a local soccer club called Toronto Azzurri. And there's going to be a big uh, big announcement on Tuesday at the... Uh, at the Pan Am Stadium up at York about Juventus and their under-17 team. So, uh, Kainman, I'll turn it over to you. Tell us, uh, tell us about this uh, great event and uh, what it means for uh, Canadian soccer and Italian soccer. Well, well uh, it, it's, you know, us, uh, the passion of our, for our game, and we wanted to pass it on to the youth because as our forefather did for us, Bobby and I, we had the fortune to have some pioneers of the game early on in the 50s, 60s, that uh, kept us in the game, get, uh, kept us involved, and we do like to do likewise with the youth coming up. And like Bobby said, uh, we need to develop uh, our game in Canada, and we're going to the right directions. Now, this is a showcase of uh, under-17s. Uh, four teams will participate in August. Uh, we, we have a, we're on a second edition of the tournament. It's an international, we call it this year, Toronto Vaughan International Second Edition Tournament with uh, the great Juventus uh, under-17, the, the national champions of Italy, with uh, the, the TFC, the, the defending champion. They beat Juventus in the final. You were there present. It was a good brand of football uh, played by both teams, but also our local uh, talents this year are coming from uh, uh, North Star from uh, the York region. And an all-star from the Peel Halton so, region. So I invite everybody to to come and support this uh, this, this event because uh, uh, everything, all the proceeds are going to charity. So it's it's uh, worthwhile to support our growth of the game and and also support the two charities that will get the proceeds. From the event. Anyways, we've been talking to Carmen and Marcantonio and Roberto Iarushi. We're going to let you guys go back to your game and uh, all the best. Hope you guys get the result that uh, you would like this morning. World Cup starts this week, and I'm sure we'll be chatting with the both of you in the okay, next couple ciao, of weeks. Ciao, Have a good morning, Walter. Thank you. Ta- take care, gentlemen. Thanks so much. Uh, gentlemen, uh, Naz, Lou, about uh, six or seven minutes before we've got to go to our last commercial break. We've got a triple crown. We've got uh, 
uh, the Toronto Marlies. Um, we've got Barry Trotz. I'll turn it over to you guys. What's, uh, what's uh, chief in your mind that you want to talk about? Well, the first and foremost, I guess i got to go talk to Barry Trotz. Uh, uh, here's a guy that took Nashville um, when they first started, uh, put that franchise on the map, uh, had him in the playoffs uh, pretty much with, with nothing, as Gerard Gallant did. Uh, made it competitive. They had some great drafts over the years. Uh, and this year, it's just really unfortunate that uh, the way the Washington Capitals have treated him by not giving, by not extending him, and the one and only year that you never think that they, anything would happen, he actually leads the Stanley Cup, leads the Washington Capitals to the Stanley Cup championship. Where does he stand? Uh, I think he's going to sit down and talk to over, talk it over with his family. But at the end of the day. Um, I think Barry Trotz will be in a different uh, city next year, whether it's preparing for Seattle in 2020 um, or maybe the Islanders right now that uh, with Lou Lamarillo over there, not knowing how much money they're going to pay, pay for a top-notch coach. Naz, where's Barry Trotz going to be next year? I think he'll be with the Islanders. Wow. Yeah. I think uh, Lou, Lou, Lou Lamorello is pretty tight when it comes to signing checks. Uh, I'm not so sure there's enough money in the. Uh, uh, I know there's enough money in the New York Islanders bank account. Whether there's enough money, they need to, to sign Tavares, and I think that's a, a stepping stone to doing it by introducing Trotz as a coach will help keep yeah. Tavares, right? Um, I know that. Fear, I know that. that I know the Islanders. Uh, the, the that's a rumored place for Trotz, and I couldn't agree with you more, uh, Lou. Um, there's got to be a certain amount of, uh, I don't know if the word is disappointment from Derry, Barry Trost, but he can't be happy about he, how he was treated this year. Uh, you know, they didn't extend him. Um, the I don't know what discussions were going on. And, um, you know, now the issue is uh, he's won a Stanley Cup, which is, you know, quite frankly, was kind of unexpected based on where Washington was in the middle of the season. Uh, and he's driven himself up into the upper echelon of NHL coaches, and the upper and I, you know, we talked about it earlier. the 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 salary range for upper echelon coaches, the needle has moved. I, I'm looking at Barry Trotz in the four or five million dollar range. Um, I mean, I think Babcock stands in a class of his own in, at the $8 million. But Trotz, this is his opportunity. He's got leverage. Uh, Stanley Cup winner. Highly and totally respected for all of his years in Nashville and in Washington. And this is his opportunity to cash in. And he's going to do, And, you know, i got to believe he's looking for term and a lot of dough. You're absolutely right, Wally. And you got to remember when he was first hired. Uh, well, when he was fired by Nashville, and Washington was in the uh, was looking at him. They really had to talk to Ovi on seeing how Ovi uh, was going to approach or accept uh, Trotz uh, coming in because he had a different mindset with Nashville. I, I heard he, that he had been really, really. Uh, tough on the guys X and O's. He'd have meetings over meetings. He'd have a meeting just to, for the sake of having a meeting. So now, if he is going to go to the Islanders like Naz thinks he's uh, it's going to happen, um, I think the, Lou Lamarillo is going to have to talk it over with Tavares because if Tavares and Barry Trotz don't ha- don't get along, I can't see Barry Trotz going to. And it's unfortunate because that's the same thing happened in Washington. Uh, Leonis had a talk with uh, uh, with Ovechkin and wanting to know whether they would get along. 
but that's that's the nature of the beast now. The, yeah, the top players have to get along with the coaches because if that doesn't happen, uh, you're, you're going to get some friction and it's going to be right downhill right from day one. The classic point is Austin Matthews. It might be. Yeah, what, what's going to happen in three or four years? Uh, Naz? Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, I, I, there's not many coaching jobs available other than the Washington one, right, and uh, the one with the Islanders. There's no one else looking for coaches right now. Not to say that they wouldn't move somebody to get Barry Trotz in, but well, there I, isn't anybody else uh, yeah, looking for a coach. I, I, there's, there's, I, I, there's nothing wrong. Sorry, there, there's nothing wrong with taking a year or two off, backing off over there. That's right? true. Right, and if that Seattle franchise goes through in 2020, he's going to be a back I, ideal. You know, ideal for him. He's going to be ideal for him because he's coming in, and the players, it's going to be like Gerard Gallant getting a sec, uh, second uh, breath of fresh air, coming in after being a year off. Overlooking everything, see what he did wrong, even though he didn't do anything wrong in Washington. But then he's going to start with a brand new French of uh, start of misfits, misfits too. Anyways, guys, we've got about a minute left. I can't let it go by. Um, when you get a triple crown winner, it's justified. It's certainly special. Uh, great race yesterday. Reminded me so much of that race in 1973, Secretariat. I'm Secretariat. sure you guys remember yeah. it well. The greatest race ever yeah. run by a horse in history. And the amazing part, uh, Justify, was incredible, and he's an incredible horse. He ran the Belmont in 228 and a quarter, I think. It's 1973 Secretariat. Under two minutes. Two, yeah. No, not under two minutes. Two, two minutes and 24 seconds, a world record that still stands. And who is chasing... Uh Gronkowski. Gronk- Gronkowski. And he came, from the, he came all the way from the back, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyways, gentlemen, I'm being told uh, our time has come to an end. Uh, to all, uh, Naz, Lou, have a fantastic week. To all our listeners, have a fantastic week. Go, Marlies, go. And have a safe week. We'll be back again next Sunday morning. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.